Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Prodigal God by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you that you're always speaking and this morning as we come around your word, may the eyes and ears of our hearts be open and attentive to what the Holy Spirit would like to say to us in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like to make your way to Luke chapter 15. While you're making your way there, uh, a little bit of a, a, a context. Uh, throughout September, leading up to the 1st of October, 1st of October will be our Partnership Sunday. Uh, more about that as we make our way there. But uh, throughout September, my heart is just to uh, unfold a, the vision of the church. What is? What are we here for? Why are we here? And, and all my heart is throughout this month is uh, for us and the leadership to impart what it is that we see. And under the banner of everything that we see is what I found in the book of Revelation. God, what do you see and what do you desire when you see the church? So here's what God sees, chapter 7, verse 9. I'll find my place because I've missed it. What God sees is a great multitude. After this, I looked and as you make your way through the book of Revelation, it's not a scary book, just keep asking yourself this question. What does John see? What does John hear? After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing. Uh, Please, anybody that's confronted with the glory of God in Scripture, tell me how many of them are left standing. But the redeemed of the Lord shall be seen standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And I love that because throughout Scripture we see God's people with palm branches. Uh, And wherever we see God's people waving palm branches, it's, it's a sign of triumph. After the walls of Jericho fell down, it was announcing the triumph of God. And and as Jesus rode into Jerusalem for his Passion Week, they're waving palm branches, singing Hosanna in the highest, announcing the triumph of the Messiah. And the redeemed of the Lord shall stand waving palm branches and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. That is church. My heart, my vision is that what God sees in heaven is what we will experience here on earth. A multitude of people from every nation, every tongue. If you're a rugby supporter this morning, you're welcome. (laughs) If you're from New Zealand this morning, you're welcome. If you're from Tasmania this morning, you're more than welcome. (laughs) So what does that look like? in our everyday lives. And last week we began with, I see God's people putting Jesus as number one. When Jesus is number one on the inside, everything on the outside just organically comes into line. When we place Jesus as the number one priority, and today uh, I want to work through a wonderful message that God has, I believe, for us, because uh, I believe it's a message for us as his people, as well as everyone abroad. Uh, If you've met me in Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin at verse 11, and it's the parable of the prodigal son, almost. The parable of the prodigal son comes to us from the context of verse 1. 
verse 1 is Jesus sitting down and it says that tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus and he ate with them. That's fantastic. Isn't it interesting that in the first century, tax collectors had their whole own class. They're like Collingwood supporters. They're, they're, they're all on their own, and uh, the only people that like a tax collector in the first century is another tax collector. It's kind of like Collingwood supporters. Yeah, the only ones that like a Collingwood supporter. But, but I loved uh, recently, uh, most of us know about Albert Einstein, right? Here's something you may not know about Albert Einstein. When he was just four or five years of age, uh, his father gave him a compass. Little did anybody know that it would be the gift of that compass that would spark and ignite his passion for physics. You see, his father gave him a compass and Einstein quickly realised wherever he turned, that hand on the compass would turn to true north. What Einstein began to realise was and what sparked and ignited a passion in him was, hang on a second, there's something that I can't see, something that's invisible, that's a far bigger reality than what I can see and what I can touch. Of course, it's the force of magnetism. Of course, others would say there's the, the, the laws of physics. But what I love about that analogy is that we are like the hand on that compass, that God has called us to live such a life that we're always pointing true north. We live amidst a culture today that is very, very lost. Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And just like Einstein, God has called us to ignite a fire and a passion inside of everybody, pointing them to, yes, an unseen, invisible reality that's far more real a world that is far more real than us. What does that look like in our lives and and what does God have for us today? And as we work our way through the parable of the prodigal son, it's a very different parable. And throughout it, what we see here is there is a magnetism that brings the younger son back home. Jesus uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners. This was unheard of. If you, were, uh, if you were in the first century, you would say, you know what, tax collectors, sinners and prostitutes are running into the kingdom of God and all of the religious folk are running away from the kingdom of God. Uh, as we unpack this parable, uh, I've named this parable the parable of the prodigal God, because nowhere in Scripture is the word prodigal actually used, but instead, throughout this parable, the word reckless is used, and that can mean two very different things. Uh, in regards to the younger son, we will see that the term reckless means to be very very wasteful, very flippant, uh, very nonchalant, but it can also mean very lavish and very excessive. And so, as we work our way through this this parable, what we will see is that the one who is enormously lavish and excessive is the father. I love this parable because it's like it places every one of us in a spiritual MRI machine and we're able to, through uh, through the lens of the younger son and the older son, we're able to search the own recesses of our heart. Uh, The thrust of this parable, you'll be pleased to know, is not the younger son. The context, this is squarely aimed at the religious leaders, but it has a message for everybody. It doesn't matter where we are in our walk with Christ, this has a message 
for every one of us. If you've got your Bibles, you've met me at verse 11, uh, the, the tax collectors, and I take a little bit of encouragement from the first few verses of this chapter because we see that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees began to grumble. It turns out they even grumbled against Jesus. The Pharisees began to grumble, so Jesus then replies to that situation and he does so with three parables. The first two we see are the, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, what we see is that the shepherd leaves the 99 and diligently pursues that one sheep. And what we also see in the a parable of the lost coin is that uh, the woman puts a house in order, tears everything apart to look for that one coin. And so we see in the first two that what was lost was diligently sought and, and that's a wonderful picture of what God does to each one of us. Uh, uh, he is the hound of heaven that is ever pursuing our hearts. Jesus came for your heart. This parable is a little different. Same process, but a different perspective. Uh, if, I had a, if I had a column here, this morning, if I had a square column and I was describing that column from this side, I would describe one perspective. And, and if Dawn was describing that same column from over there, still describing the column, but from a different perspective. And now the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of a father and his two lost sons talks about the same process of coming into relationship with God, but from a different perspective. This time we will see... The father does not pursue the younger son. Let's have a look at what happens. Verse 11, and he said there was a man who had two sons. Why two sons? Deliberately two sons. Uh, There was a man that had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, and if you have the hard copy this morning, underline the words, give me. uh, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, many of us here this morning may look at those words and go, you know what? So what? What's the big deal? But in the first century, uh, this is akin to the younger son walking up to his father and slapping him in the face. Here is what the younger son is actually saying to his father. I wish you dead. I I wish you dead. I don't want you to have any place in my life. I don't want you to have any say in my life. I want my life in my way on my terms. Nothing new under the sun, friends. In over 2,000 years, there's nothing new under the sun. We still live in a culture of a give me culture. We live in a time today when if you step outside these walls, uh, hold the bus for a moment, we're going to come inside in a moment, but if you step outside these walls, we are surrounded with a give me culture. Give me life the way that I want it. I want to define sexuality however I want to define sexuality. I want to define life and conception of life whenever it suits me. I want truth to be what's true to me and go away everybody. I want to define morality for myself. I don't want God to have a say. Why is it that they are absolutely doing everything in their power to remove God's word from Parliament and from our schools. Because we don't want God to have a say. We wish God was dead. We want to have life on our own terms, in our own way. And before we go any further, I want to make it clear that's exactly what God will do. He will honour your choices. 
We see that. He says that it divides the property. Give me the share of property that's coming to me. He had no right to ask for that. And we have no right to demand to have life our own way. Every Jewish male listening to this is expecting the next words to be, and the father gave that young man a good shellacking. And you know what? Most of us in our conception of God at times may be guilty of thinking the same thing about God. We think God's up there with a big stick beating us every time we make a mistake. God is saying, if you want to have life your way, you do it your way. I want to be clear this morning. You are free to choose your sin. You are just not free to choose the consequences. The young man's about to get the lesson in consequences. We live in a generation today that could do with a few consequences. Give me. I want, I want my life, my way, on my terms. But I wonder if there are not sections of Christianity that may even be saying the same thing. Yeah, no, I want church every Sunday, but I want it my way. I want the seats to be comfortable, the air conditioning to be right on cue. I want the songs to be a good mix of old and new. And I want to make sure that nobody ever sits in my seat. And and, uh, the the sermon's only got to be 20 odd minutes. And Just give me church my way. I want God, pat me on the back, send me home, make me feel good about myself so that Monday morning I can go back to doing what I was always doing in the first place. Give me God. Give me a God that I can control. Give me a God that does my bidding. Any theology that places God as your servant and doing your bidding is heresy. He is the sovereign, almighty Father. He is gracious and he is merciful, yes. But he is the one that rules the universe, not us. Give me my share of the property. Our God is a good God. He will let you choose your own life. You just don't get to choose the consequences. C.S. Lewis said, and I'll just place the quote with him and then I can't get in trouble, but if you have any complaints, Pastor Liz at the Rock. (laughs) C.S. Lewis said, the gates of hell are locked on the inside. Give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And please note that whenever there is distance between anybody and God, God is never the one that moves. God did not send him away. God did not move away. God did not banish him. He chose to leave the father. He said, give me what is mine. I'm going to go and live the high life. So he goes off into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And that's where we get the term the prodigal. He was very wasteful. He squandered or he scattered his property and wasted everything that God had given him. And we've been talking about the parable of the talents. Are you wasting what God has invested in you? Have you are you wasting what God is giving you? And there he squandered his property in reckless living. But we, we live amidst a culture today that is throwing their lives away. Let's see what happens 
to the younger son. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose. And I love the terminology Jesus uses here because a famine in Scripture always symbolically referred to God's visitation of judgment upon sin. You know, there are, there are times in our lives when if we are honest with ourselves, uh, God causes famines in our lives. Uh, if you've got mothers or fathers, brothers and sisters or children, if you've got anybody that's away from the Lord and you begin to pray for them, watch what God does. You see, what God begins to do is he begins to dry up all of our horizontal affections. He begins to cause famines to come into our lives. Looks different for each one of us, but whatever it looks like, he wants to dry up everything horizontal so that you will start looking vertical. This younger son, he's off having a great old time, but he's spent everything and now he's in a famine. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The Jewish men are having convulsions right now because... We might miss this today. We've got movies like Babe and all those other things. Oh, cute little pig. The Jews detested swine. Is, this is the lowest of the low to, be, to find yourself with absolutely nothing and off feeding the pigs. Have a listen to where we end up with this younger son. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the field to feed pigs and he was longing, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Friends, I want to tell you today, you can avoid eating the husks. You don't have to eat the pods. You don't have to find yourself in this position. But I've got tremendously good news for everybody. If ever you find yourself in this position, all is not lost. The younger son is at rock bottom. This is the lowest of the low for everyone. I've decided that I want life on my own terms. And and what do we find with the younger son? What we find is uh, everything he thought he wanted uh, now has just vanished and gone from him. He he thought that this world would satisfy him. He thought that everything, uh, he could create his own life in his own way and he was free. But what he realises is, no, in fact, I've spent and I'm just as empty and, and just as barren as before. Uh, another man in the Old Testament went before him, a man by the name of Solomon, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's what Solomon, if Solomon was alive today, forget Elon Musk and all these other guys, this, Solomon's the richest man that ever lived. And Solomon's like, you know what, I've got all these resources and all this time, so I'm going to thrust myself into the pursuits of the world. And, and so he builds himself elaborate buildings and gardens and he has something like 800 concubines and all, anything that you could think of. He has all the money that anybody could ever think of. And here's what he found if you read the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, 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 vanity. Everything is meaningless and everything is empty. Uh, here's what... Uh, Ecclesiastes, here's what Solomon would say to the younger son, satisfaction is sold separately. Verse 17, Uh, I want to help you to pray for those people 
that may be at distance from God. You see, our sin will put us at distance from God. Sometimes we put that distance in ourselves. But I want to help you to pray for them. If there's one prayer I would encourage you to pray, pray that they come to themselves. The the turning point for the younger son was this verse, verse 17. But when he came to himself, hang on a second, the lights have gone on. I don't actually have to be here with the pigs eating husks. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, have a listen to this phrase, the hired servants have more than enough. Why are we running all throughout the world? Why do we have a culture that's plunging itself ever more into these uh, worldly pursuits, thinking there's satisfaction? Why would we do that when even the servants in the Father's house always have more than enough? Uh, He said, how many of my Father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but what I perish here with hunger? To be lost means to perish. Notice that he's as hungry and as empty as when he began. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from Tasmania uh, likes fly fishing, so he must be a pretty spiritual kind of guy. And uh, he, he said he wanted to go for a trip to New Zealand to go fishing. And I said, are you going to hire a guide while you're there? He said, no, 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 no. He says, we've looked at GPS maps and we've worked all out where we want to go. We'll be okay. And his wife said to me, when he gets back, ask him about the Westpac chopper and the search party. (laughs) So I asked. And what happened was these two gentlemen had gone off fishing on their own and this sounds like a very male story, I know, but... Uh, they decided to go off, took matters into their own hands, but they got totally, horribly, hopelessly lost. They managed to get phone reception and get a call out, and after sending a chopper up, they said, no, it's all right. Stay right where you are. Don't move. And so the next thing, he says, was only about three hours later, he says, these people come through the scrub and take us out. He says, turns out, He says, we were 500 metres from the car. (laughs) And that might sound like a very humorous male story, but we live in a culture today that's horribly, hopelessly lost. We're the search party. C.H. Spurgeon said that every believer is either a missionary or an imposter. God has sent us as his agents for those that are lost. The younger son is lost. Please note the journey. The journey is not back to a place. Now, please hear me when I say that we will spend eternity in the embrace of the Father. We will be in heaven. There will be massive fish in heaven, yes. Uh, but There's massive fish for me here, so it's not you know, too much of a difference. But the difference will be I'll be in the presence of the Father forever. And, and please note the message is not back to a place, it's back to a person. The message of the gospel is reconciliation back into a relationship, a loving relationship with a person. 
I will arise and go to my father, he says, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. Listen to the repentant language of the younger son. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What I love about this parable is although it may expose some of the recesses and cracks in our own hearts, it definitely unveils the wonderful heart of the father. Have a listen to what happens here. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. It turns out the father was looking and waiting for him the whole time. The the father was longing for the son to come back. And uh, he arose and came to his father while he's still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion. That word compassion is a very deep word. could take a long time to expose it. But recently I managed to get to the movies to watch the deeply theological movie, The Equaliser. Equaliser 3. But here's something, uh, let's unpack the story. Uh, the Equaliser is about a man that's got a certain set of skills. And uh, it's not the taken. <laughs> but this guy's got a certain set of skills that he's been trained in. And what he does is after he's retired, he begins to step into other people's suffering and infirmity to execute justice for them. That's what compassion means. Compassion means to step into somebody else's suffering and help them. Jesus was compassionate to us. The Father had compassion. Uh, What we are beginning to see here is it doesn't matter how far you may think you have run from God, you are only ever one step from God. And that's the step when you turn around. The minute the younger son turns around, the minute he determines I'm going to go home, the father sees him at a distance and runs to him. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, he saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And in fact, in the Greek, it says he fell upon his neck. This isn't just a quick, how you going, mate? This is complete and utter embrace and kissing. Affectionate terms, relationship terms. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Doesn't get to finish what he had practiced. But the father said to his servants, I love this, Bring quickly the best robe. The best robe in the house would have been the father's robe. Go and get my robes. Notice what the father didn't say. This guy's been off feeding the pigs, remember? The father didn't say, go and have a bath. The father didn't say, clean yourself up. The father didn't say, go and get yourself sorted out. The father said, go and get my robe. We're going to exchange his dirty clothes for my robe. Go and get the best robe and and put it on him and and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And the ring, uh, the the members of the family would wear a ring to signify their authority within the family. Here's what the the father is saying. Uh, You're not coming back as a servant. 
You're not going to come back merely as a servant. Why? Because because uh, the way you distinguish between servants and sons in the first century was all the servants wore bare feet. All the sons wore shoes. Go and get my robe, put the family ring back on his finger and go and get some shoes for his feet. And bring the fattened calf. You always kept the fattened calf for the best of celebrations. Here's what Jesus wants us to know. When you come back to the Father, when you, by the way, home is defined by a person, not by a place. When, when you come home, you don't come back as a servant groveling, you come back as a son. Jesus has elevated us back into sonship. Bring the fattened calf, why? Because we're going to have a huge celebration. And let us eat and celebrate, for, for my son was dead and is alive. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Uh, this, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. What that good news is that? the younger son. There is some great hope. And many of us may have been the younger son at one time. Maybe we were at distance. Maybe we wanted life on our own terms, but the Lord has received us back. But now we move to the older son. Now his older son was, where's the older son? He was in the field. And what we're going to learn about the older son is proximity does not mean closeness or intimacy. What the older son will teach us is you can be around the father, but still be terribly, horribly lost. There is no greater blindness than being completely and utterly blind, but thinking you see. And as my friend who went to New Zealand, there's nothing more than thinking you know the way, but you are horribly, horribly lost. Now, the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, but he was angry and refused to go in. Religion will keep you outside... Notice where the son was. He's out in the field. He's serving the father. He's even going to say that. I'm, out, I'm a good little boy. I'm out here doing everything. That's not what the father wants. The father wants relationship. The older son has missed it. But he was angry and he refused to go in. But listen to the heart of the father. His father came out and, and entreated him, entreated him or pleaded with him, oh, won't you come in? But he answered his father, look these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
Have a listen to this language. But when this son of yours, not my brother, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the older son missed it. The older son missed it. Why? Because he says, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And you can sit on church pews for years and be just as lost as the younger son. Just as distant from the father as the younger son. Just as lost in keeping rules and following commands. And miss the fact that God wants to have an intimate relationship with every one of us. The call of the gospel is not to come and follow a heap of commands. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commands. Not if you obey my commands, it must mean that you love me. Here's what Jesus wants. Here's what the Father wants. A loving relationship with him. Notice both of them, to begin with the younger son, but also the older son. Please notice that they were only interested in what the father had. You see, the older son, he, he turns around and says, you know what, I've been here the whole time. I've been serving you and working for you, but you never killed the fattened calf for me. You, ne- you never even gave me a goat. And the older son missed it. Why? Because he had the father the whole time. But he was too wrapped up in what he had. And we see a, we see a dramatic Exposing of hearts. And maybe all of us need to just quietly search our own hearts and say, you know what? Have I got wrapped up in the busyness of doing things for God and I've missed his heart? Maybe you've been away from the Father, but here's the message to us as a church. We live amidst a lost culture. Recent events and recent weeks have highlighted how many people are sitting inside a church desperately lost. Thinking that they see, thinking that they're found, but terribly, horribly lost. God has called us to live lives that point the way home. If I can close with uh, an analogy, we're going to close now. and please remember before I say this that all complaints to Liz at the Rock at .org. But recently, uh, myself and my wife were blessed with football tickets and we went to see the Brisbane Lions play. We've got great seats. Um, yeah, great team. It's good to see. And you know what? Uh, that many people went to the football. We had to park a long way away. We parked a long way away and we had to walk. Didn't complain once. You know, when we, got to the, when we got to the football ground, we had water bottles. We had to tip our water out in case we had vodka in there. So they found your vodka. We had to line up for ages. We had to shuffle past people. There's huge lines to get a drink. 
Then when we found our seats, we had to shuffle and shimmy across the seats, find, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We spilt most people's beer as we're making our way through. We, we sit down on the plastic seats. We sat for over two hours on hard, uncomfortable plastic seats. And we didn't complain once. Or should I say, I didn't complain once. No. <laughs> You know why? Because we were excited and we valued the game. And if I can get real for a moment, I've heard a lot of excuses. I've only been a pastor for five minutes, but I've heard a lot of excuses about, you know, I'd come back to church, but, you know, uh, this person said this, or somebody kept sitting in my seat, or or the pastor said this, or or, or somebody hurt me there, or somebody did that, or or the building's not big enough, we couldn't find a seat, seats weren't comfortable enough, preacher preaches too long, they sing the songs too old. You know what? Uh, You're not talking to us, you're talking to God. You know the seats aren't your problem. You know, the lighting's not your problem, the songs aren't your problem. God's your problem and what you value. And I say that because the church in the West in particular is standing up demanding that the world values our God. And we should. But the world is saying to us, you first. Because I've noticed something about the world. They don't mind walking as far as we did to get to a football game. They don't mind sitting on hard seats when they value something. Our family, men, our family will never be any more on fire for God than you are. Church leadership, Church will never be on any more. We are to be, God has called us to be thermostats, not thermometers. A thermometer reads the temperature around it. A thermostat sets the temperature. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you received me and all of us back with open arms. You embraced us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are graceful and merciful and forgiving. I thank you that you long, Lord, you long, Lord, for so many to come back home. And so I pray, use this church as a thermostat. Use each individual in their workplace, in their school, in the supermarket. Wherever we are, Lord, may we set the temperature. And may we point to lost people the way home to your heart. Today, for every person that finds themselves wrapped up in rules and sitting out in the patio, and for those that are a long way off, thinking the world can satisfy them, Father, challenge what it is that we value. Challenge who it is that we value. We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, 
subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.